I know we, we say this from Sunday to Sunday. I don't want to move on from the songs that we just sung, the truths that we just sung. I don't want to move on from crying out to God with hunger, saying it's only you that satisfies. And even consecrating all that we are to him. All that we are to him. I just want those... Those themes should be ringing in our hearts. I think what the Lord has done through just kind of organizing the songs and then organizing the text that we're in, he's pushing something home for us this morning. God's in this. James and I haven't orchestrated this, but this, as we come together this morning, I got certain things on my heart from this particular text. He's arranged things through song, and God's behind it all, weaving it all together. So let, let it be that that aspect of hunger. God, without you, I got nothing. I'm a dry, desert soul without you. And Lord, you deserve my all. We started off saying he's the Lord of all. There's no one like him. Glory, glory. There's no one like him. He is the Lord of all. And he demands nothing less than our all. Let those truths kind of just rest with you by the Spirit this morning. I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 3. We're jumping back into the series. Um, I was planning on getting through four or five verses. I got through two. All right, so we're just looking at verses 1 and 2 this morning. Um, We're just going to park there and just kind of piece it out, kind of gnaw on some of the text that is there, the words that are there and recognize that uh, it is so easy for us. It is so easy for us to drift from all he is. We just drift. Good old Christians, we love to drift, right? But Paul is calling us back. Paul's calling us back to all that God is. Now I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Uh, But we're just going to focus on verses 1 and 2. Paul states to the Galatians, remember he's already kind of defended his ministry and, and, and the gospel message therein, but now he's turning to the Galatians. Um, and, and if you remember, he's already confronted the apostle Peter in some ways and kind of given it to Peter, like Peter kind of folded under the pressures of kind of the racial tensions of the day giving up on the gospel freedom that was all his, and Paul's confronted Peter. Hey, man, this isn't the way we do Christianity. This is not the gospel. And now he's turning, like, Peter, you had your moment of foolishness. Now he's turning the attention back to the Galatians, and he's saying, all right, now your turn. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has put a spell on you? Who's bewitched you? Right? It was before your very eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now I know for, if you haven't been in this text, I just read something and it's probably like, shwing, 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 you're like, like, what, wait, 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 what, what just happened here, right? Well, we're going to walk through those first two verses, but Paul's point perhaps can be just hung on this one application question for us this morning, and that is this. Why are you here this morning? Why are you giving up two-plus hours, maybe if we go long, <laughs> two-plus hours of your time to gather to wake up, to get out of bed, right? The the day off, perhaps, for you, right? And and actually do the work to get here to be with God's people. What's 
motivating your heart? What's behind your activity? What's moving you this morning? You see, if you are here to simply add to your personal sense of well-being, if you are here to make your kind of like middle-class Northeast Philly life a little more upstanding, a little more put together, if you're here to keep your life perhaps from totally unraveling, or maybe it's your concern for your, you're here for your kids, right? You're, you're, you're here so that their lives don't become a train wreck. If you're here for just mere personal betterment, to feel better about yourself, to kind of like get through this next week the way you want to get through this next week, well, you may, how can I say, you may be missing out entirely. If I could say it this way, um, church is not a grocery store of grace where you just come and grab a few items to kind of supplement your idealistic week that's about to come, you know, kind of like, what do, what do I feel like I need from Jesus this week? Well, I'm going to show up to church, and because I show up to church, well, he's obligated to give me a little bit of grace for this week so I can have my week the way I want my week. So what, what do you feel like you want this week? What do you feel like eating this week? Well, let's just go to the grocery store of grace, that church, and just pick and choose from, from Jesus just what we want to take from him. I mean, we showed up. He, he, he needs to give us something for this week. If, if that's your view of Jesus, Paul says in verse 4, you may have believed actually in vain. In other words, your belief, your reasons for being here is, not just probably is, but is a waste of time. You put in effort for nothing. <laughs> because that frame of mind, just to come and get something from Jesus to better your life, is not the gospel. It's not who Jesus is. The true gospel, the true good news of Jesus, is not a Jesus that we can merely add to our lives. He's not some pop psychology Jesus, just, you know, that little uh, Christian soup for the soul, just get a little wisdom, a little take for this week, you know, to feel good about my, myself. He's not some sort of additive to your life, a little extra octane in the tank this week. Man, I need a little strength, I need a little power to get through this. Well, I'll go to Jesus. He'll give me a little more octane. I'll get through my week. Isn't that great and wonderful? Folks, he's too big to be supplemental. He's too big. He's too intense to be a mere additive to your life. He's too comprehensive that we would just show up and dice him up, so to speak. Portion him out. Portion out his graces as we would want him to be. Jesus is not interested in supplementing your life. He's not interested in being one of many good things in your life, nor is he interested in you adding anything to him as though he's less than something. We don't come here this morning to become a better version of ourselves, adding a little Jesus to ourselves, nor do we add anything to him. I hope you come, I hope you come this morning in true belief that you come to perhaps freshly as a Christian surrender all you are to all that he is. Think about that for a moment. Surrendering all you are to all he is. Is that a fair trade? Not exactly, is it? We definitely get the better deal in that. We get Jesus. He gets broken down, damn, right? It's an exchange. It's a surrender. He gets just broken me, just the clay pot, as Scripture says, and I get the king of glory. It's to surrender all you are for all that he 
is, and, and Paul will say later on in the book of Galatians, that's the definition of freedom. Freedom comes by surrendering all that you are to all that Jesus is. For freedom, Christ has set you free. It's freedom to know Christ, live in Christ, to not be bound into the shackles of Dan's wants and selfish desires. It's not about my dreams anymore. It's not about what I can achieve in this life anymore. It's not about Dan surrendering all that I am to all that he is. Jesus is too big to just become a piece of the puzzle for me. I hope then that you're here this morning, perhaps, this is where I feel like I'm at, to like cast all those selfish wants and those kind of selfish ideals that got away from me this past week. My wife says, she comes to me, when it was a few days ago, and she's like, why did you say this to those people? Why would you say that? And it's like, okay, Holy Spirit. Like, just to confront me in such a way, like, Dan, you were, you, were, you were aware of yourself way too much. It was self coming to the center, saying things for Dan's sake. And she just has to say, why did you say that? There I am again, my selfish wants, desires, self-awareness getting away from me. So I hope you come this morning to kind of pull those back in and to lay it all on the altar of sacrifice again. Here I am, Jesus, my selfish wants and desires got away from me this past week. I'm pulling them in and I'm giving you all that I am to gain nothing less than all that you are. That's the idea. I hope you come this morning as, as, as one who is eager to fully surrender all again. That's the Christian life. I'm dying to Dan again. Here we go. To gain Christ, right? So when you come this morning, we're not coming to some bargaining table. I'm going to give a little bit to Jesus and he's going to give a little bit to me. We're coming to an altar of sacrifice. A hundred percent of me for a hundred percent of him. And this is the true gospel. This is what Paul has just said. Verses earlier, chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Is that the way you view self? I'm living this life in terms of Dan, seeing who I am. Well, the cross is gone. Uh, crucified to that cross. I'm dead. His blood has reckoned me dead. Dan is dead. So that, as Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the goal of the, for all that Jesus came to do and to give upon that cross. He came to do it to set you free from you. From you. So that you would be considered as dead dead upon that Christ. So, so now it's Christ living in you, living through you. What people get isn't Dan, they get Jesus. It's something that we continually struggle with throughout the Christian life. So get the reminder from the Holy Spirit called my wife, right? And there I am confronted again. Okay, I got to nail this. I got to die again so that I might gain Christ. So I hope I'm not alone in that struggle. Um, so if you're struggling with whatever that is, a divided heart, that, that, if, you're, if you're suffering this morning from a small supplemental view of Jesus, then this scripture firmly exhorts us away from what is a powerless Christianity. That small supplemental Jesus just leads to a powerless Christianity and so we must return back to the big Jesus, that powerful Christianity, back to this place of surrender so that we might gain in greater measure this spirit-empowered life that comes through Christ so that we can stand with Paul and say, it is not I, but Christ who lives in me. So the point that Paul gives us this morning is simply this. Again, I, I was hoping to get more this morning, but 
we got verses one and two, one particular point, Paul is calling us to return, if I could say it this way, to the power encounter of our conversion, to go back to having been introduced to that big and comprehensive Jesus, that powerful Christianity that we be began with, that we oftentimes will drift from. Paul is saying, get back to that big Jesus. So Paul begins, we're jumping right into the text. Notice verse one, Paul calls the Galatians foolish. They have drifted, right? To resort, so to speak, to a divided Jesus, to resort to a less than complete Jesus, Paul is saying is absolute foolishness. If you're just thinking of Jesus as one who's gonna supplement your life, make it a little better, Paul calls that foolishness. And what is a fool? Well, Scripture talks a lot about fools. Proverbs 18, verse 2 says, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his own opinion. Isn't that the world we live in? <laughs> we got more opinions, more perspectives than anyone ever needs, right? You just go on social media or wherever, you go on to newsreels, and you got plenty of opinions. A fool takes no pleasure in actual understanding. He just expresses his opinion. Well, this is what I feel. The narrative, the gospel of this culture is do what's true to you. What you feel is what you should be. And scripture saying, uh, that's a fool. That's a fool to run your life off of what you feel. And the Galatians, in some sense, they have drifted away from wisdom. They have become fools. They haven't fought this through. They've just bent their knee under the pressures of the false teachers, the direction of all the crowd. They're just, they're just going with the flow, going with the drift. They're falling away, so to speak, from the big Jesus that they came to faith in. They are foolish. And Paul, well, Scripture will also say that fools are those who don't consider the consequences of their actions. They don't think things through, they're impulsive, they just rush through things doing what they feel, but then they also don't weigh the consequence of their actions. So Proverbs 26, 11 says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so the fool returns to his folly. His actions, his kind of like impulsiveness, his wants and desires only upset his life, right? It's an upset. He does the thing. He lives his life by way of his own opinion, his own feelings, and upsets his life. And what does he do? Well, he goes right back to it, and he's upset again. It's this constant upset, going right back like a dog to his own vomit. And so Paul calls the Galatians fools because they had resorted to this small supplemental Jesus. They weren't thinking it through. They weren't weighing the consequences of their unbelief, right? They were just following the crowd, just bending the knee to these false teachers who had come in. They're bending the knee to the pressures of the moment, not thinking about the grave consequences that could be in it for them. So then Paul goes on to say, not only are you foolish, but Paul says, who has bewitched you? Literally, that language is, you know, the song, who, you know, I put a spell on you kind of thing. Uh, that's what he's saying. You're, you're under some delusion, right? And, and in some ways, he may be saying this for effect, just being strong with them, but he is also helping us understand this, that the enemy wants nothing more than to keep you from a comprehensive Jesus. He wants to keep Jesus small, supplemental, inconsequential. As Christians, you know, we may at one point have laid it all on the altar, right? At one point, we might have said, Jesus, you get all of me for all that you are. But we know as Christians, don't we, that we tend to become wise, quote unquote wise. We begin to 
kind of trust in our own understanding of things. We know the right things to say. We know the right things to do as Christians. And we kind of live in that fishbowl of Christian culture. But therein is the easiest place to become kind of even a galaxy removed from that daily dying to Jesus kind of stuff, that pick up your cross daily and follow me kind of stuff, that all on the altar kind of Christianity. Over time for us, it's that drift, it's the bait and hook. The enemy gets us so that we, we resort to some kind of inconsequential Jesus so I can show up to church and be completely unmoved because I just have heard it before, I've done it before, I've walked that path before, but now I just... I just know what it is. He's inconsequent. He can have no more effect on me because, you know, I've died daily at one point in my life, and now I've kind of moved on. I've come to a place where Christianity is palatable for me. Christianity should never be palatable. Your sin and your flesh and yourself won't fully die until glory, which means there is a constant need for the daily dying type of Christianity. Christianity is a messy thing. It doesn't look good on Facebook. It doesn't look good on Instagram. You can't make it nice and clean and easy going. There's nothing comfortable about it. It's a grind. Why? Because you're a sinner focused on self, and that's got to die, all of you for all of him. As Christians, we know this all too well, that drift. Just know how to talk, know what to do. And before we know it, our hearts are more being ruled by self than the Savior. So what Paul wants to do, he's saying, you, you've become bewitched. You're under a spell, man. You've, you've lost focus of this true comprehensive Jesus, this Jesus who demands your death. So Paul wants to call us back to that big Worthy of it all, Jesus, that we met at our conversion. Paul states, verse 2, he says, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Some of your versions may say publicly proclaimed as crucified. It's a unique text, a unique word there. This doesn't mean that the Galatians were actually like at the foot of the cross watching the crucifixion of Jesus. That's not the idea. It's a unique expression that refers to Paul's ministry of proclaiming Christ to them. He expounded the, the scriptures to the Galatians, but in so doing, they just didn't hear about Jesus. They saw Jesus. It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly proclaimed as crucified. Very similar if you know the Emmaus Road story where it's like the disciples are walking through, Jesus shows up, they don't recognize who he is, but he teaches of himself from all of the Old Testament, and they testify to that moment as, as them burning within, their hearts burned within them. They experienced, it wasn't just an exchange of information, it was truth that came with effect, and Paul is saying, I proclaimed Christ and him crucified to you. It wasn't something that you just heard, you saw it with your eyes. You encountered the living God through the proclamation of the gospel. It wasn't a transfer of information, it wasn't just a transfer of truth, it was encounter, an encounter with the one who is truth. It's that they saw him. Their eyes were opened and illumined to the crucified Christ. Now, according to the text also, Paul is very clearly not referring to some kind of generic cultural Jesus. My heart is burdened, uh, even as I just through normal life. You're walking through past people and having conversations with people, even at... Uh, even at a court hearing this past week, my heart is just broken all over again because there is this cultural, generic, kind of semi-religious kind of Jesus that everybody loves. So I, I can wear the cross around my neck. I can even get the tattoos of Jesus. I can wear the t-shirts. I can sport the bumper stickers, but my life isn't changed. I haven't come to that experience of him. I just wear him. And if I could 
say it this way, the Jesus who is worthy of swag isn't the same Jesus who is worthy of your surrender. You can wear, you can wear a cross around, you can, you can get all the tattoos you want. That doesn't mean your life has encountered the living God. There's too much of the generic, semi-religious Jesus who isn't worthy of anything when it comes down to it. And Paul is so bent on being specific about this Jesus that he says in verse 2, he says, he was publicly portrayed as crucified. In the Greek, that word crucified is emphasized. It stands out, kind of all caps. You're supposed to get who this Jesus is, he is the crucified one. Crucified here is in the perfect tense. So what Paul is saying, he's emphasizing that it is this comprehensive Jesus who was comprehensively crucified. In other words, Paul is emphasizing this is the Jesus that gave it all. He gave it all fully, he gave it perfectly, he gave it exhaustively, and not only did he give it all, but it stands now and forever. Oh, think about it. Isn't that good? What Christ has done upon that cross is perfect, it's satisfactory, it's full in its accomplishment, and it stands for all eternity. He gave all of himself that he might gain all of you now and forever. It is Christ and him crucified. So again, what Paul is doing, he's calling us back to that original power encounter, so to speak, that we had with this Jesus at conversion. Oh, do you remember coming to this big Jesus, this crucified Savior who laid it all on the line for you and for me. Do you remember when your eyes were open to that big Jesus? Do you remember it? When you saw this comprehensive, this big Jesus for the first time? I remember at five years old. And I thank God for growing up in a Christian home. But there I sat on that puke green carpet in the living room and there my mom sat next to me and I wasn't in school yet so mom had me for the day and what did she decide to do but take a little bit of time to read through a dinosaur book because Dan liked dinosaurs and so there she went from creation who made the dinosaurs Dan you know God and she went from creation to the cross. Telling me about my sin as a five-year-old. Telling me about this broken world. God created it good, but man rebelled against God. But we have a hope. This Jesus who came and satisfied the debt of our sins upon that cross. As a five-year-old, I'm getting it. And there with tears running down my face, mom, tears running down her face, there little Dan calls out to Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin. I don't say this as a badge of honor. This is just a grace. This has nothing to do with me. I've never doubted that conversion. I know many people who go through seasons of great doubt. I've, I've never suffered like that. Now, maybe tomorrow I will. But I've never, I saw Jesus, as Paul is saying. This wasn't just, hey, Dan, here's another Bible lesson. You better know this stuff, child. You want to escape hell, don't you? You know, it's not this guilt-ridden kind of message to me. It was this, here's Jesus. Do you see him, Dan? And in the moment, as a five-year-old, I could say, yes, I see him. I see this big Jesus who's enough for all of me. Who's worthy? Who's worthy? Now, did I stray away? Did I struggle? Am I still struggling? Yes. Yeah, but I know in whom I've believed, and he's a big Jesus, and I can always then, when my selfish wants and desires get away from me, all right, rein it in, Lord. We're coming to you all on the altar of sacrifice laid, all of me for all of you. You are 
worthy of it all. Right? You remember when you came to faith. Because this is what Paul is calling us back to. Don't drift from that big, amazing Jesus. Now, it's with this, then, that Paul asks, well, he asks a rhetorical question. You know what a rhetorical question is? He's not, he's not looking for an answer, right? He's making a very firm statement in verse 2. He says this, more or less, he, he says, I want to know one thing. You can hear, you can hear just kind of like a little bit of frustration in his voice, a little bit of sarcasm at work within this rhetorical question. He's, he said, I just want to know one thing, you foolish Galatians, you who are under a spell by the enemy. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Paul is concerned this one thing, this one thing that he's concerned about. I really want to know. You, you answer me. This one, did you receive the Spirit by a bunch of things that you did or by simply hearing about Jesus with faith? You see, this idea of receiving the Spirit doesn't refer again to realizing a truth. It's not like you, you don't receive the Spirit by like sitting in a Sunday school room where you just kind of download information. That's not the idea here. Even some of the most conservative commentators, those, if, you, if you're into theology and terminology, non-charismatic cessationists would even say this, that this idea of receiving the Spirit refers to a dramatic and powerful event. It refers to an ecstatic experience. I'm, I'm taking that from one of the commentators. That's what he said, right? An ecstatic experience. This is what Paul expected when people came to faith. So that he could say, you remember that power encounter? You remember what you experienced? How, how did you experience that? Because you, you just did some religious things? In this case, it's circumcision. You know, these Judaizers are coming in. You have to be circumcised in order to be a part of the family of God. Like, all right, that may sound super crazy to us. But the fact is that for many of us, our relationship with the Lord is just a religious duty. It's just a religious grind. We don't actually ha have a reference to this power encounter with the Holy Spirit. And we have to slow down enough to think, did I come to faith? by what I have accomplished, a prayer I prayed, an altar that I went to, the things that I did, or did I receive Jesus by way of hearing with faith? Because hearing with faith leads to a dramatic experience that Paul can reference back to and say, don't drift from what you first experienced. Don't drift from this hearing with faith that brought about this wonderful experience with the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is putting before us is consistent with the rest of Scripture. We see it a lot in the book of Acts. When people came to faith in Christ, it was consistently attended at some point early on in their conversion with dramatic and powerful manifestations of the Spirit of God. In coming to saving faith, some are distraught in repentance, right? Others spontaneously begin to rejoice. Others begin to prophesy. Still others begin to speak in tongues. Even Paul himself, in being filled with the Spirit at his conversion or around his conversion, experienced healing. The scales fell off his eyes. So this should be a normal reality for Christians who have come to faith. Now, it doesn't mean that with our variety of temperaments that we have to have these ecstatic manifestations. 
but it should mean that even referring back to when I was five years old, man, there was something powerful that happened in that moment. I saw Dan for who I was, and I beheld the glory of Christ as a five-year-old, which demanded my faith. I, I had to step out in faith, and there was an experience in that. There was a power encounter in that. Did I have category for it? Absolutely not. But it was emotional. It was life transformational. I was no longer who I once was, even as a five-year-old kid. Change began to happen. Why? Because the Spirit came in me. I'm concerned for a Christianity that lacks experience in the Spirit. So once again, Paul is appealing to this experience of the Spirit as that which came about, not by works of the law, not by some rigorous law-keeping religious duty, but by hearing with faith. They experienced the bounty of Christ's salvation. They experienced the baptism of the Spirit, not because of what they did, but by hearing with faith. They trusted that Jesus was big, that he was everything, and therefore he was worthy of their everything. They heard with faith and thereby received this power encounter of the Spirit. And Paul is like, he said, why would you ever move on? Why would you ever resort to something less than that big Jesus? Now, how should this land on us? If I can pastorally be, and this is probably isn't going to surprise you after all the years that we've kind of walked through different texts of scriptures, but I do want to just put my concerns on the table. When I've studied through this text, I'm left with two primary concerns. First, I'm concerned that our Jesus today has become for many the God-man who died on the cross for our sins. And if I just can intellectually check off those boxes, then I'm, then I'm in. But that leaves the door wide open for all kinds of less than versions of Jesus. A Jesus who is there just to make you a better version of yourself. He's there. He's small enough. He's manageable enough. I mean, I, I, I figured this out. It was my intelligence. It was my intellect that understood that he's the God-man who died for our sins. So I can stand on some theological understanding. And, and now, you know, I can kind of piecemeal him into my life as I want him to be. I can always justify what he desires of me. I can always kind of drift back from that all in, all on the altar of sacrifice kind of Christianity. I can just kind of keep it even keel. But the true gospel, the true comprehensive Jesus, who, yes, is the God-man, and that matters, who, yes, died upon that cross for our sins, and, oh, does that matter, who rose again, and, yes, oh, does that matter, but it's that Jesus who demands, if we could say it this way, your death. He demands your death. Don't you come to me if you want to live. You hear how I'm saying that? I hope you hear. Don't come to me if you think Dan just gets to keep on living. You come to me so that Dan dies that I might live through you. Do you see? The true gospel has all of that intellectual stuff and oh, it is glorious and oh, it matters. But the true gospel demands your death. You gotta die. You sick of yourself yet? Sheesh, I am sick of myself. I'm sick of myself that I would, I'd stand before visitors who come and serve us so well and show us Christ and then have these moments where I get to give a devotional. And then Dan just gets in the way of it all.
I'm sick of myself. And like the song we say, I'm just hungry. Like, Lord, here I am. You don't push me away even when I've resorted back to me. But I just want to keep Dan on the cross. So what is now at work in me isn't Dan, but is you. This world doesn't need Dan. My wife, my kids don't need Dan. They need their crucified Savior living through Dan. Folks, I'm concerned that we have resorted to a gospel that demands really nothing much of us, but maybe some inconvenience here or there. But the true gospel demands your death. So let me just ask, have you moved on to some kind of modified Christianity, something that's more palatable, something that gives you room to kind of justify your wants and desires? Have you resorted to some sort of Christianity where Jesus really just isn't worthy of it all? So I'm concerned on that point, and I'm also concerned, secondly, I'm, I'm concerned that we're skeptical to any kind of attending spiritual experience to conversion. Skeptical. To me, that's backwards from Paul's exhortation here. Ah, that was emotionalism. Maybe even demonism. Those heretics, right? The brain is a funny thing, you know? We don't quite understand it. Those people were probably experiencing things according to their own physiology. We're so skeptical. We're so skeptical. But Paul can actually utilize the very experience of conversion, this power encounter, this infilling of the Spirit, this receiving of the Spirit, and use it as a way to actually promote their sanctification. Don't you remember the big Jesus that you encountered? He came with power. You experienced him. You remember that ecstatic power encounter? Remember when your heart was broken, when you saw Jesus as worthy of it all? You remember that moment in the spirit? Don't drift from that. You should want more of those experiences. You should want to go after Jesus and know true relationship and stop just keeping things so superficial that you can always justify yourself in any of your wants and desires. Jesus is just fairly inconsequential, just someone that I show up to church and honor through singing and listen to Dan preach and then just go do my own thing without any feeling, any consequence to who he is, to what he's done for you. There's more experience in the spirit. We'll see this next week. But folks, the filling and baptism of the spirit is the blessing to surrender. It's the life of Christ invading the life that has been laid down. It's the sacrificed life that, like a, like a sacrifice, is consumed by the fire of his presence. He baptizes those who, by faith, surrender to him. It's a real experience Perhaps we could say it's an, it's an inevitable evidence of saving faith. So, you take those two concerns, an intellectual gospel and a skepticism towards spiritual experience, you mesh them together, and at worst, here's what you end up with. You're left with a self-absorbed, fleshly people who lack any true spirit empowerment to grow, to disciple, or to evangelize. But... If by faith, again, we surrender all that we are to all that Christ is, if, if we consistently crucify those tendencies to trust in the small supplemental Jesus, there are untold stories then of what the Spirit might do even through just a few surrendered souls. Paul is telling us, return to that power encounter. Return to the place of surrender. 
for you gave all that you were to all that he is. Is Jesus worthy of it all? Is he still worthy of it all? Well, I've gone through some hard things as a Christian. I was saving this for next week, but church hurt is one of those things that keeps us from a full surrender. I know how this goes, and I need to stay, stay put together, stay at comfortable distance. I just want to say that's a bad exchange. He wants your hurt. He wants your hurt. Church hurt, bringing that to the altar of surrender is a beautiful sacrifice to the Lord. It delights his heart. And oh, can he now bring healing to hurt when we bring it to the sacrifice, when we bring it to the altar as a sacrifice. Don't let church hurt get in the way of all that Christ desires to be for you. So Paul is telling us again then to return. Return to that power encounter. Return to that conversion place, surrendering all you are to all he is. There's a, that, that old hymn um, that kept coming to mind as I was studying this. It asks this, Is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid? Your heart does the spirit control. You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him your body and soul. Let's pray to that end. Jesus, even, even this morning... I feel my own heart recoiling, recoiling at times from recognizing you as worthy of it all, because I just don't want to give up me. <laughs> but Lord, what a wonderful exchange it is to just release Release it to you and say, Lord, help my unbelief. Help me believe. Help me believe that you are worthy of it all. Give me fresh eyes again to see your grandeur, your grace, your comprehensive reality, your fullness. That you are one who we can't just piecemeal into our lives, but you're one who demands it all. You are worthy of it all. Help me believe it. <laughs> Spirit of God, we ask even now for those who may have never come to faith in you, who just like have always kind of wondered. Oh, Spirit of God, we pray that you would open eyes to see that there would be a hearing unto faith, a hearing unto salvation, a hearing unto an encounter with you where they find themselves dead. <laughs> dead to themselves, but now alive to Jesus. Lord, I pray, I pray that you would help us as a church not to drift from the big gospel, the big Jesus, who is so worthy of it all, who says, come and give me your all, but no, I'm going to give you my all. Thank you, Jesus, King of glory. Thank you that you would give yourself to me, to us. And say, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you and it's all of me forever. How good it is to know such a kind and wonderful King who's worthy of it all. Lord, have our hearts
take us back. We need to go back, take us back to big Jesus. Take us back to spiritual encounters with you, Spirit. Show us Christ again. Convince us of sin again. Pull us away from just justifying our selfish wants and desires. Take us into holiness. Take us into purity. Take us into surrender so we can experience more of you. Let it be, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Fill you with 